When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. We're recording, weirdly, on the night, Eastern Time, late afternoon, Mm -hmm. my time, Wednesday, April 7th, 2021, because we're doing a live stream for Book Riot Insiders members. Uh, We cannot see if there's anyone here yet. Jen Northington is on the booth, as they say, helping us out. Um, I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're going to talk about book stuff as we normally do, normally do just in a weird time. Yeah, that's the plan. It's not late enough here for like an after dark recording. I'm not having an adult beverage. I don't know what to do with myself. Oh, we have we do have a couple people here. Hello, hello to Donna hello. and Amelia. Hey, hey. Uh, four to five is generally my least productive hour of the day. So <laughs> we'll, see, well how, we'll see how we're doing here. <laughs> I put on my black shirt my av guy black shirt it's uh it's mm-hmm. kind of my go-to here when these sorts of situations just going to be a normal show it's kind of a slow news week um i think we're going to start off the show do a little follow-up uh we're going to do the first segment about maybe future segments in a very meta kind of a move for us but before we do that we're going to take our first sponsor break okay just a little bit of follow-up <laughs> from last week we put out the call for moms dads grads recommendations and we got one request so far come on this is very sad for you all looking for recommendation requests so we've got one so we can although we'll get to all the ones we've got submitted so far Um, if there's only one do we spend an hour picking books i don't know uh it's also one that i I won't say what it is now because if we only have one then we'll really be boring when we get to it uh, it's. I've got some ideas already. It's kind of like one we've done before, so I'm not sure. Give us something interesting. Okay. We're looking for right. stuff here. We can do this. I mean, we can just talk about how everyone should buy their mom Gilead. Yeah, we, we can do that. That's, That's true. Um, we had a very nice email, and I don't think it was the email was signed, but from a listener who sent a picture of um, a local bookstore, wherever this person was, with the Four Winds by Kristen Hanna set up in a display. <laughs> Uh-huh. And the little, it's not really a shelf talker, right? It's just like a staff sticker or a, it really just yeah, a post we'll it, was it, that said um, that one lady liked it, <laughs> which was an incredible <laughs> burn to the book, people looking for the book, book selling so writ great. large, publishing writ large, you know, us for talking if about you wonder- it. If you wander into a library right now and you're like, this lady I know recommended a book to me and I can't remember what it is, they're going to hand you the four wins and they're probably going to be right. It's like guessing Babe Ruth and Kennedy on Jeopardy. You may not be right, but it's your best bad guess. You won't be embarrassed. You won't be embarrassed. That's right. Um, Also got way... Look, the Lonesome Dove read-along, Jen, calm down. She doesn't know we're talking about this. That we floated was kind of mostly a joke. We're not going to do a read-along of loans. It's not a joke, but more of a college bull session kind of idea, kind of a thing. <laughs> At least that's what we thought. At least thought. that's what we thought. <laughs> a lot more emails saying, I would be in for a lonesome dove read-along. I appreciate your enthusiasm for a lot of reasons. I'm not sure it's the book we want to pick for a read-along. <laughs> As I said before, first of all, it's 894 pages. Um, but I appreciate your enthusiasm. We're going to come up with some new ways to talk about specific books, and we're going to get to that seg- segment here in a minute. But thank you for your enthusiasm. One one person called, um, I, I think in a good-natured maybe way, our discussion of Mercury a travesty uh, because oh. it was too focused on the cowboy stuff, which I don't know what to tell you. We said Terms of Endearment, and there was a bunch of other books we haven't read. I, I, don't, I don't know. I disagree. Maybe I'll read Lonesome Dove and just give a book report yeah, on yeah, air. Yeah. Also, didn't like that we put McMurtry and John Irving in the same bucket. They're not the same. The point was, they're of an era of especially like mainstream, what do you call it? Jen would know the books are. I, I, I wanted to keep talking to Jen like she's here, but I'm not doing that. Uh, like upmarket commercial mm-hmm. fiction, like people would read it to be reading things, but not thinking they're reading art books necessarily. It's, it's kind of an older 
model, especially when it's like white dudes from um, the 70s. But uh, that's why we put them in the same. But we just don't know how they're going to age. We don't know how those things are going to look under the, the bright lights of a modern sensibility. So those are follow-up there. I guess other follow-up is we talked about this segment that we're going to continue talking about it. I guess that's the content we're laying down on this fine Wednesday. <laughs> Meta segments is what we're doing. We're going to talk about, I think we're going to try some of these, should I read it, segments, mini episodes, whatever they're going to be. And Rebecca and I want to spend some time together brainstorming title ideas, what the what, what also makes an interesting title for this kind of discussion. Mm -hmm. And then we want you listening, or listening live, I guess, as the case may be, to give us some feedback. Is this jives with what it does? And maybe we'll open to some voting. You know, We'll have a couple of candidates. We'll see. But it's, it's a real thing in the world of books and reading that, for whatever reason, a book will become a thing that's out there, that people are talking about, want to read, it's in the zeitgeist for whatever. And let's say for the moment that these are for good reasons, right? We're going to keep these into the realm of we wouldn't mind talking about this book for 15 <laughs> minutes or so. Yeah, if the answer is just no, it won't be an yeah, episode. Yeah, it won't be an episode. But I thought it would be an interesting kind of idea to talk about, A, what kinds of books we're actually talking about if we're on the same page about them. So our first one mm -hmm. up, and I think I've already roped Amanda into joining me and maybe us to do it, is Shadow and Bone by Lee Bardugo. It's kind of obvious, except I don't think it is at the same time, maybe. Right, Rebecca? Tell me why yeah, Shadow and Bone is well, interesting for us. You know, the Netflix adaptation is coming out soon. I don't think it's out April yet. 23rd. And we actually, like, this is content straight from the Book Riot staff slack, because last week I was like, who has read Shadow and Bone and knows me and can tell me if I would mm -hmm. like it or not? Um, and because I'm trying to decide, do I want to read these three books? Or maybe I'll just watch the Netflix and see where I go from there. Maybe I won't do any of it. And folks, Amanda and Sharifa chimed in and said, you know, that they had read it, what they thought about it. And then you read it over the weekend. I we did. had some private conversation about it. So I think like a buzzy book that is not a definite no, but there's like some caveats of like you should read it if is kind of the form. Mm -hmm. I think the answers to these questions will take like this is a book for this kind of reader. So you should read this book if you tick these following boxes or you're going to like this vibe. And then you shouldn't read it if that vibe doesn't work for you or if this kind of content doesn't work for you like i routinely text you like this book was great except a bad thing happens to a kid you know and then i'm like so why did you even text it's... me thanks thanks so much that's uh, <laughs> you would hear look at this service. great book you would like if you could read it thank you well that. you know if it's on our shared yes, radar right. i don't want you to go down that path and be surprised mm -hmm. by sad content like that um so i think that's how I've been thinking about this should I read it stuff is that there are folks in our community who really like it and there are probably listeners who are just on the fence of like is this the right thing for me right um, and that's the conversation is here's why you would read it here's why you would because even people who listen to this show or other book or podcasts welcome to the inner circle of like book nerddom right <laughs> the, the most likely thing is any book we've mentioned People won't, more, more people than that will have not read it. I mean, I, right. I'm trying to think of like what book that's come out in the last 10 years has the highest read through rate of it. And it's not obvious to me, actually, what it, it maybe like Michelle oh. Obama's Becoming or something like that. I, I don't really know. So even if it's a really I, super buzzy we... book, there's still a lot of people that are on the fence, right? And the more, the buzzier it gets, there's sort mm -hmm. of more people have read it. But then, the other people on the other side of the fence are joining the fence. So I think there's always an interesting right. way to talk about it. And frankly, it's also interesting to hear people talk about books you've already read. That's like one of the anti-pattern of book reviews. Like, That's here's true. this book review about this book I haven't read. I don't know if this review yeah. is interesting or not to me right now, necessarily. And to, to think about past examples, I think the Michelle Obama one would be an interesting question. Like, in my judgment of this, I don't think we would have done oh, should you read it about where the crawdads sing? Like we did a big book I discussion had that, about I that. I was wondering about that. But, Say more about that. But our our shared answer was just like, no. But then why did we do that? <laughs> we didn't know. Like we did, we just did a big book discussion on it. So in this case, the segment, we would have re read it to find out the answer to the question of this yes, segment, right? Okay. But I think that we could have done... I think this would have made an interesting episode on Fifty Shades of Grey, like to pick another big oh. buzzy book of the last decade. Like there were readers for whom that was a really interesting choice and it did some stuff mm -hmm. like culturally that lent to new kinds of conversations where I don't think like anything new 
to talk about came out of where the crawdads sing. So I could see, I mean, like, I think Amanda and I did this in my living room, basically, like whichever of us read Fifty Shades of Grey first was like, well, here's what you'll like about it. And here's what you won't like about it. Do you want to spend your time on this or not? And I could see cases for yes and no, where my personal reading of where the crawdads sing is like, "Mm." it was like Fifty Shades of Grey was so big that even if you only read it to know what was happening Mm -hmm. in the culture, I think it was worth a couple of hours of reading time. And I did not feel that way about where the crawdads sing. Yeah, I don't, I mean, again, we're not going to decide A, if we're going to do this forever or not, but I think it might be interesting to try a couple of different things and see what makes for the most interesting conversations to have. Jen here, Mm -hmm. I see is mod. Uh, Well, Jen, you're volunteering her service for the Lonesome Dove read along. Maybe you and I doing a Lonesome Dove, should I read it? be interesting right and sort of you know really looking at who might read it once so for shadow and bone um a bunch of us have signed up to read it i blew through it i'm going to keep my cards to my that that you keep them here the vest vest yeah where's your vest right right, right here (laughs) right here um i get to do all sorts of hand things um, I'm just, I'm realizing I usually gesture so much when no one can see me, but now I can see myself. Well, that's <laughs> the thing is I, again, for people listening to the file, they're not going to get this. Here's how I podcast. You know, I'm like, <laughs> right here. Yeah. I'm usually sitting in my chair, like waving my arms around, making a point about a thing. Yeah. No one can see me. But I think that, so another thought we had was, okay, have a, would just the people recording the show have already read it? Or would it be interesting for me and Amanda to talk about, Shadow and Bone, and then have Rebecca there sort of as a discussant, a question that that Mm -hmm. every woman sort of that hasn't read it and can ask us questions and ask for clarifications too could be cool. I think that would be interesting. One of the like variations on this that I've been thinking about is a should I watch it that's adaptations of literary stuff. So when Made to Love by Alyssa Nutting came out a Mm -hmm. year or so ago, um, I just missed it when it was a new release and it's been on my sort of like mental. I'll get back to that at some point. Um, She's just an interesting, weird writer. But now there's an adaptation coming out on, I think it's on HBO Max with uh, Kristen Milioti. And there's this weird trippy trailer for it. And I was like, maybe I'm just going to watch this. Like, maybe I'm just going to watch it without having read the book. And I would like to have a conversation with someone who had read the book that could talk to me about both. Like, do you want to read the book first can you just watch the adaptation first will the adaptation make you want to go back to the book or not like i'm not sure that i've ever seen a, an adaptation of something and then gone back to the oh source. really i do that Material. all the time oh wait no harry potter hmm. i was a harry potter and i'm sorry i know we don't talk about yeah yeah right she who shall not be named anymore but that's what happened i like was a skeptic Bob's roommate in college loved it, and we went to see the first movie, and I was like, okay, I'm going to read these. But I didn't go back to the first. I've never read the first book. I just picked up mm, the second book that's and interesting. Like, went forward. Yeah, I often... You do that all the I time? I do that all the time. I didn't know Usually that. if it's nonfiction, though, but that's oh. regression to the mean for me at this point because I mostly read <laughs> nonfiction. Um, I guess related so, to that point with the adaptation is adaptations, so say... I'm, I'm basically, I think we're like 85% sure we're at least going to do one for Shadow and Bone. Is it more interesting to do it before the adaptation hits or give people a couple of weeks and, you know, catch people after they've, you know, that's how these things go, especially with Netflix when they drop the, all the episodes at once. Yeah. There's kind of like a, a, a spike and then it kind of falls back down. Do people get more interested in reading? I guess that's why I'm saying, Rebecca, is like, are people more yeah. interested in like the book talk? in anticipation of the thing coming out or is it as it's cresting like the weekend it comes out or the next week where they have a chance and they're really coming back to it great question i think kind of all of it like that doesn't help anyone all of it what is that (laughs) my my favorite answer yes and 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 (laughs) there's really two ways of looking at this actually there's two ways of looking at the two ways of looking at it are you making fun of me yes (laughs) yeah i got you um well, I think folks who really loved the book are interested in like talking about the book and then mm-hmm. doing the movie. Or maybe knowing that the adaptation is coming out is a really good push for people who've been thinking about it. And it's like right there right. for a long time. But I do think that that those first couple weeks when an adaptation is out create this space of like, if it's good right. and buzzy, people are going to either opt into the adaptation and maybe get hooked and go back to the book or the like deeper nerds among them are going to be like, well, I, I still have time. I can read the book. Yeah, first, and but, because but like, we haven't really paid attention well, in this way to book sales we where we look at and Bridgerton or The Witcher. Those are the couple we've right. talked about 
at and some the Handmaid's point. Tale surged right before mm. the show came out, but it also was conflated with the Trump administration becoming a thing mm. and the Handmaid's Tale becoming popular again. So we don't really know what that would have looked like by itself. Um, here's a question that we will not be able to know the answer to because of the way data works, but I'm just I'm more interested Great. in your guess than the real answer. <laughs> What percentage of people listening to this show that will ever listen to this episode in whatever form okay, it takes this episode. Uh-huh. have read 1984? Oh. Do you think it's above or below 50% that have actually below. read it below it? Below. Yeah. So by that logic... And that logic, has to be on the high I was, gonna, I was trying to pick something like... Gatsby. Yeah, Gatsby or... I'm not even... To kill a mockingbird. Dan Brown! Um, from the, from the <laughs> top rope. Um, well, if it's anything less than 100% having read Dan Brown, um, I'm unsatisfied. Donna says she likes reading the book after seeing oh. the adaptation. I don't have to think. I'm reading Donna. I'm, I don't know if we have permission yeah. to do this. Uh, I, don't think, I don't have to think about what everyone looks like in their new secrets revealed, not in the movie or show. Interesting. That's a good point. Okay, Jeff, these nonfiction that you're frequently doing the adaptation yeah. and then the book, I need some examples. Moneyball. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff like that, it just puts me back into the author's, like the rest of their mm. oeuvre. Well, the book, especially for nonfiction, it's always the case that there's more in the book than in the adaptation. But with nonfiction, there's That's like true. more detail and and there's more liberties taken, right? Because in the movie mm-hmm. Moneyball, the Jonah Hill character is a synthesis of several real people that appear right. in the book. Because the, yeah. the movie's job to, like, is to tell a better story. Yeah, you'd fa- and just see what... Th- I also find the, the storytelling decisions interesting when you're having... Like, mm-hmm. Moneyball's a really great example because when, I, when I was surprised by what the book actually was. Um, I thought it was like the Billy Bean story, and it's not. They chose mm-hmm. Billy Bean to coalesce um, the the book around, and no one's better at this than Sorkin, so far be it for me to say yeah. whatever, but that's not the only way you could have gone. Um, so anyway, that's 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 a good oh, example yeah. of something and like that. Joanna's saying in the comments that they read The Expanse after watching the series and that they would have bailed on the book if it had been the other way around. And I've heard that about The Expanse from several folks in my life, that the show is really great and gave them sort of the oh, background context for it. bailed on the book if you had... No, that's interesting, too. I, we, yeah. might be, we might be in the realm of the idiopathic... Uh, idio, idiosyncrasy majority here. What else are we doing here, though? I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so I think Shadow and Bone... And there's so many adaptations now that just because something's getting adapted does not by its nature make it a great Mm -hmm. candidate um necessarily i think well one of the other books on my list of contenders for this is malibu rising by taylor jenkins reed which comes out this summer which i read over the weekend i will not share my take on it yet in case we do the show but like i think a big book by an author who's had a a big sophomore the sophomore book is a great category for this yeah sophomore like whatever the other ones are because she's had a couple but like daisy jones and the six was huge Mm. and she might have had another book between Daisy Jones and this, but Malibu Rising is the next one that I've read. And like, she's a name and it seems that each of the novels is pretty different. So what is she doing? Yeah. Is this next, should, if you liked Daisy Jones and the six, should you read the new Taylor Jenkins read? So to use that example, cause we have a couple of sub examples within there at, at some point in the, the shape of Daisy Jones and the six, it would have been a good candidate for this, right? Yes. It, not at the yeah. beginning, probably. There's very few debut mm-hmm. novels. Again, I'm, I'm assuming that we're right, that that was her debut novel. I, I could be wrong about that. But for the moment, let's use that as the thought experiment. There was a point in the, the Daisy Jones and the Six story that we would have like known other people are interested in it. And it would have been an opportune moment to help people decide as they're hearing about it, too, if they want to get yeah. on, on board or not. And then, and then once they have one like that, then the sophomore, like the vanishing half last year would have been a good mm-hmm. example of this. We had the mothers already. Or, it was interesting. We probably yeah. would have done the mothers maybe late in the cycle there. I don't know. But that sophomore, can they do it again mm-hmm. is kind of the question. Like, right. uh, what yeah, kind of person are we dealing with here? Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... I think there's a category of writers for this show, at least, that almost anything they write is fair game. And the new Lahiri coming out in May, I think. I think so. um, I think it's called Whereabouts. It's only 192 pages. um, So we can get through that quick. You know, the Robinsons, the Whiteheads, the Lahiris, the Zadies Mm -hmm. of the world. Um, I'm sure there's other some that 
it's just an event if they have a book out and people yeah. want to know if they want to know. And it's just occurring to me. I think there's another class of book that would be really interesting for this, which is like, I don't know, for lack of a better way of describing it, the books that I think get mismarketed a little bit oh, that could reach a wider audience. Than do you have an example? The marketing. That? Yeah. So I'm current. I, well, I'll spoil my mm-hmm. hand on this because I don't think we're going to do an episode about it, but I'm just about finished with um, A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abdurraqib. Mm-hmm. And he is a poet and a writer and does a lot of music commentary. And the book is like, has a gorgeous cover, but it's like a little devil in America notes in praise of black performance. Mm. And the title sounds kind of academic. The blurbs are a little on the academic end, but the writing itself is not academic at all. And I think that, I mean, he's getting really great press. He's phenomenal and he should get really great press, but I think the positioning is limiting who really is interested in mm. the book. Like I think the potential readership is much bigger than the way the marketing positions it. So I would have done a should I read this episode because I would have been talking to you about like, well, you're interested in the Harlem Renaissance and like this particular period of American culture. And here's what he addresses about that. But it also moves up into these other kinds of black performance and the difference between performance on stage and performance in your body in the world. And, you know, all kinds of really interesting stuff that could be academic. People have certainly written dissertations about this stuff, but that in his hands is really beautiful and compelling. And there's just so much to chew on. Yeah, that's interesting. And Hmm. it's like, it's just not like wrapped up as sexily as I think it could be. Um, that's almost a you should read this segment, which maybe is related. Cause <laughs> it I, is. Can we I haven't really thought that? of this as like a discovery, <laughs> uh, discovery um, <laughs> segment, but it could an element of that could certainly be the case. I guess mm-hmm. my ideal candidate, it sounds like a job description, uh, three to five years experience, <laughs> um, is one where should I read X for the title and someone seeing the podcast episode title will be like, oh, I've heard of that book. Whereas that one, mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, no shade in the yeah, Everglades, but that's true. I don't think so. That's true. Um, yeah. Maybe I just want some new segments. So we you could, should read that's this. a whole different thing. After the break, <laughs> we're going to do that podcast do segment it. that we're not going to do. We'll talk about how we're going to put that one together. Um, so that's kind of, and then, you know, the Lonesome Dove category is an interesting one too, mm-hmm. where, or Ramona the Pest would have been kind of an interesting mm, that one to been do. Fun. Oh, okay, let's or, you know, if there's an anniversary, you know, a hundred years, um, uh, it's going to be, I think it's this year. Let's say it's this year. 42 years since the publication of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. For those of you in the know, you know that 42 is the most important um, number in that series. So maybe a a sort of a catch-up. Like, it's out there in the zeitgeist, Mm -hmm. but it's now part of the culture and... that It's kind of like, those kinds of books, if you haven't read them, they're like, well, when we used to have a Netflix queue... um, (laughs) Like when you got down to like the 30s, you know, stuff that was like yeah. number 30 on your Netflix queue, far enough down that if you're a movie watcher at all, there's always going to be things to jump the queue. So it's just going to be in uh, interest purgatory uh, until you die. Um, but maybe this would be a reason like to shake you out of it. And, and Lonesome Dove is a good yeah. example. Like probably people have heard of McMurtry uh, and heard of Lonesome Dove and kind of wondered what the deal is with it and what, what whether or not it's it's worth returning to. This year, Gatsby was in the public domain. Dalloway's in the public domain mm. this year. So there we could find I've reason. Never read that. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Would you like Mrs. Dalloway? Let's do this live. <laughs> I don't have to think about that. Okay. Um Oh, that's not the only question I want to think about. Sorry, live <laughs> people. That was me Maybe just that was me sponsor. just doing that was me just getting caught in a loop. Yeah, let's do a sponsor cuz that'll give me 2 seconds uh to, rec- to recover here and come back. Were we done with that segment? We just ended it because I froze. Well, have you come up with an answer about Mrs. Dalloway? <laughs> sure. Why not just take 30 seconds to think about whether or not you're going to like I mean, you're a smart person. It's a great book. It's not going to be a whiff necessarily. Will it enter the Shinsky pantheon? That's a high bar as well. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a good okay. segment um, to think about in the future. So email us, podcast.bookwrite.com, if you've got thoughts about anything. I guess the data point we really don't have is for there's – a, there's a buzzy adaptation on the horizon. Are, a, are you the kind of person who picks up the book at all of an adaptation? Mm-hmm. And if you do, when in the cycle are you inclined to pick it up? 
Yeah. And I'm curious from listeners, what recent releases or like summer releases are you hearing about that you're having the yeah, should I read right. it question? Yeah, are, there, are there questions could, out there for you now? We could contend with those. Again, podcast at Book We don't really have a book of the moment, do we? On the on the literary so. fiction or you know on the commercial fiction literary fiction side, I can't think of one right now. We're kind of yeah, off the socials. Like, we're off the soch, so we're not really we seeing are, that kind of stuff as much. Yeah, we haven't seen like a big novel of no. twenty twenty one yet. I don't think, or the big novel. There have been some great ones, right. but I don't think. I mean, Harlem Shuffle hasn't come out yet. So. Yeah, I don't. And then on the adaptation front, I, I know Bridgerton got the the Netflix bump, but as these things go, that's mm-hmm. it kind of comes and goes. Ooh, there's a new Lauren Groff novel this yeah. fall, and I think Groff is a good contender for should I read it? I for... think that is. I think she is now a really combing with a fine <laughs> brushing with a fine. What's that? You comb with a fine comb? That can't be the phrase. That's re- fine tooth. You're look. You're, you're combing you're with a using fine a fine tooth comb. <laughs> I know, but you can't say well, you're combing with a fine tooth comb. That's not right. Anyway, painting with a broad brush. Y- yeah, you're painting with a fine comb. That's how painting <laughs> and brushing works. It's mixed media. Is it a it's fish or hard. a penguin? Um, <laughs> I think Groff is a. You got to be between Lahiri and awful, right? <laughs> in terms of like, in terms of juice, right? Because like. Lahiri, we're going to find interesting probably no matter right. what. But And Groff is a wonderful writer, and her books tend to be very different mm-hmm. from each. Pre- each book is different than the ones that came before it. So I think there's interesting land to trod, there, ground to tr- Oh, man. I think I something know, about looking at each something. other means our brain, our cliche-generating brains are short-circuiting. Somehow this is even weirder yeah, than right. like recording sitting next oh, to each God. other in a sweaty oh, apartment. Lord. What was that, like seven years? Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was a long, long time, time ago. ago. Um, I think that you could have loved Lauren Groff's last book and still be wondering how you're going to feel mm. about the next one. And those are really juicy for and like ripe for these kinds of conversations. Sidebar. Am I the only one that has a hard time keeping Laura Vanderberg and Laura Groff straight? No. Okay. You're the only one that are here that can respond. So 100% of us agree that I'm not the only one. I don't one. think that they're hard. I, well, Oh, you were disagreeing. I've, you're saying no. Oh, no, no, no. I don't think you're the oh, only one, but I'm not one. You're of not them. one. Like, of them. I have I have a really particular attachment to Laura Vandenberg's first short story collection, so I'm not going to confuse mm-hmm. them. But as time has gone on, their styles have I, converged a little bit, yeah. and their interests have converged a little bit, I think. And I can totally. The Laurening. Like, I mean, the Laurening. It's all yeah, kind like, of like coming down. I can't te- keep Tom Robbins and Tom Wolf straight, so I don't have any See, that, room to change here. That is completely. Wild. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Namespace pollution is Somebody, real for the Loras. Yeah, I, no. I got nothing. So I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, that's kind of a that's a meta segment. It's like, should you read? Should I read the author? Like, what am I getting into if I'm getting in with oh. Groff or I'm getting in with? Um, well, Tom Robbins is a good example. A good example of what you <laughs> would you need some uh, some things there. Oh, Amor Tolls. Uh, that's an interesting one. Good recommendation, Kate. Yeah. People love the Moscow gentleman, gentleman in Moscow. Moscow. Yeah, and then the rules of civility was the other one, which was the one before. But gentleman Mm -hmm. Moscow was such a big hit that it had the echo boom for uh, rules of civility. I believe is the. Oh, I've complete. I haven't read any of them, so someone can tell me if I should. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean that that one sold. We get um, recommendation requests like that. Comps for we that do all get the that time. One. That's so one of the, that's not as, the ones we that's people are looking bad. for comps for him all the time. Yeah, I mean the the ones on our horizon um, for sure would be Lahiri, um, Whitehead in the fall. Mm-hmm. I haven't read any of the towels, so I don't know. But I would be. I need that segment for Gentlemen in Moscow. Yeah, I've got. Let's see who's on my radar. Brandon Taylor has another novel coming out. That's a sophomore situation. Be very interesting. That's a to sophomore see. situation yeah. and. Uh, real life was like so stellar mm. that I really hope that he can keep that pace up. I I subscribe to his Substack because apparently the thing I do now is subscribe to people's Substack newsletter. 
It's your pandemic Kindle buying spree, just in the form of literary subtext. It truly, truly was. I have no cabinet full of candles, but I've got a lot of substacks in my Gmail. You're just now. sitting there reading your email with the regular aromasphere like an animal. Um, Look, if you're a mid-list author and you want to send me a weekly roundup of what you've been reading on the internet, I am so here for it. I guess the other category that's obvious for this is prize winners when the, the list comes ah, yeah. out. I mm-hmm. saw that um, Deacon King Kong by, or James McBride won the inaugural Gotham Book Prize which is not on our yeah. list because it's sort of um, uh, there's so many book prizes they generally don't burble up mm-hmm. a- apart from the big ones but it was a 50k prize and there were some interesting novels on there and I know what'll happen that the Nobel Prize will be announced and we haven't read something by that person generally speaking so that would yeah. be a, that would be a really good and listener service too I think and it's own it'll way. be hard to top Louise Glick though <laughs> for a Nobel. <laughs> Well, here's the other thing. Three of the last four Nobel winners wrote in English? Mm. Is that right? I mean, so, or I don't know. Because no, uh, of late, we've had Dylan, Monroe, Ishiguro, and Glick. Mm-hmm. Right? Hmm. Yes. Yeah. So what I'm saying is we're probably up to read one in translation <laughs> if, uh, if, the, if the time comes. Um yeah, I think we've got a lot of ideas. Well, I think we're thinking about maybe dropping them in as, you know, mini episodes at different times, mm-hmm. maybe as a segment as part of a larger show. But we don't get we don't talk about specific titles as much as we used to when we did other things on the show. When we had like the new books coming out this week and other things like that, we've kind of devolved devolved. We've morphed into Either we don't talk about specific titles or we de- devote a whole episode to it. Mm-hmm. And the burden of an hour to listen to about a book you haven't read, right? In, and we look at the download numbers and you guys are listening to them, which is great, but not quite yeah. as many as do in a regular episode. But maybe a 15-minute segment where you're like, I'm in for an hour of listening to these people talk about a book I haven't read. Tough hang. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, oh, there's a I Marlantes. Thank you, Kate. Oh, no, that came out a couple years came ago. Couple years Deep ago. River. Oh, that's, a year ago that's or right? so. But we got listeners recommending stuff to each other in yeah, the comments. Yeah, that's right. They don't even need Deep us River's anymore. Yeah. Uh, the AI has become self-aware. Uh, Asimov warned us about this. <laughs> um, but, 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 the news stories this week are... The news is like a downer, man. <laughs> yeah, it is a downer. How are we doing on time? All right, um, ba, 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 ba. let's do one more sponsor, and then we'll do a regular news show kind of stuff. Like the Swallows to Capistrano, the most challenged book of the year list returns, bringing with it a raining crap down upon our heads, just like a giant <laughs> flock of birds. Um, the most challenged book of twenty tw- tw- most challenged books of twenty twenty. A repeat at the top. Three years mm-hmm. in a row now. I remember when we first talked about George by Alex Gino yeah. being the number one book on this list. Knowing some of the other stories we've talked about a late of um, anti-trans legislation, uh, book challenges. I'm saddened and completely unsurprised mm-hmm. simultaneously to see George by Alex Gino remain at the top of the list. My only, the only good thing about this to me means that enough librarians or teachers are doing the work out there to put it in front of enough people for it to be challenged that often. That's the only silver lining here is what this sort of is a secondary indicator of. Yeah, and the list is, I think, more an artifact of 2020 than these lists usually are an artifact of the particular historical events of that year in that for a couple years before this, we've seen this list shift from being dominated by titles that are related to just like the presence of sexuality to titles that are related specifically to queer issues. And in 2020, it's kind of swung back around to George is at the top of the list, but several of these titles are related to racism or are considered, you know, the big anti-racist reading material. And of course that gets challenged. Um, So like number two on the list is stamped by Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds, which is the younger readers version of stamped from the Mm -hmm. beginning, which is Kendi's huge, you know, comprehensive history of race and racism in America. Um, Jason Reynolds holding down the third spot as well with all American boys that he co-wrote with Brandon Keeley. Uh, and then there's also 
Something Happened in Our Town, which is a child story about racial injustice by Marianne Solano, Marietta Collins, and Anne Hazard. It's illustrated by Jennifer Zivoin. That's number six on the list. And The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas is number 10. So we've got four books about race, um, one about LGBTQ issues, mm-hmm. and then a couple classics, To Kill a Mockingbird of Mice and Men and The Bluest Eye, which I guess just find things to object to people about these classics. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting. The numbers at the top of this note that the ALA Office for Intellectual Freedom tracked 156 challenges to library, school, and university materials and services. And in those 156 challenges, 273 books were targeted. And I can't decide if 156 is more or less than I would have guessed. In a pandemic year? On... I think it's wild it's that many. People weren't in school That's... last year. It was, it was well, in 2019, it was... Uh, 370 challenge, 377. So we're still mm. doing half the challenges and kids weren't in yeah. school for like, well, my kids aren't going to school until the Beijing Olympics in 2022, as far as I can <laughs> tell at this point. But that's a lot of challenges for people sitting around at home. Mm-hmm. At least that that's was true. My, I mean, first, they were doing... my first blush reaction was, wow, still we're doing this even now. Right. And I think, you know, for very good reasons, maybe the flip side of that is we were sitting at home uh, and people could not look away from coverage of George Floyd's murder in the way that mm-hmm. folks could look away maybe previously from other moments in the Black Lives Matter movement and other moments of really race-based violence. And the looking at that led to a very big and long overdue conversation that uh, there's still, you know, a lot of work to be done there. But that conversation gives rise to like, oh, well, we shouldn't teach the kids about Mm. these things. So I can see how the list moved in that direction. Of course, it's disappointing to see the list move in that direction. And then number four is Speak by Lori Hulse Anderson, which I want to talk about for a minute. Unbelievable language in this. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like remembering that the internet can see my face right now. Um, Banned, challenged, and restricted because it was thought to contain a political viewpoint and it was claimed to be biased against male students and for the novel's inclusion of rape and profanity. That's a new, that's a new one. Terribleness. (laughs) Biased against male students. Okay. Like, how else are we supposed to eradicate? rape culture Hmm. and talk to boys and young men who are the primary perpetrators of sexual violence. I don't know if we cannot talk about this as a thing that exists and that they are the primary perpetrators of. And like, I get it. If you have a son, you don't want to think about the fact that he could do this kind of thing. And hopefully you're having those kinds of conversations, but it's not the parents having conversations with their sons about consent that I'm worried about no. here. Like, if we can't put a book that addresses the existence of rape onto a high school reading list, and high school is the age at which most kids are discovering their sexuality and having their first sexual experiences, and consent is a hard thing for adults to navigate well, mm. that this, I, this is a travesty. Like, so many of the things that parents say in their objections to these books are just things that are patently absurd. But the idea that discussing rape makes a book biased against the male perspective or the male students, it, like you should, whoever wrote that should be embarrassed to have signed their name to it. Like, shame on you. May all of your efforts fail. It's appalling. Yeah, they win the Pink Dildo Award for really doing it wrong. <laughs> In, uh, in challenging, in challenging book, a new annual award yeah. from the Booker Riot Podcast. The Turkey of the Year is replaced by the um, the, the Pink, Pink Dildo, Dildo award. award for most outrageous challenge <laughs> to a book. I'm a little surprised. Again, I don't like to see any of the books here get challenged, but I'm surprised we haven't seen Speak on one of these lists before. As we've been doing the show, I just was scrolling back through because I don't remember yeah. it coming up before. Um, so. That's a lot of challenges to come up and claim the number four spot all of a sudden. It is. And maybe that's maybe delayed reaction. Maybe speak was added to lists also after Me Too. I'm not sure how that has bubbled up. Um, The Guardian had an interesting piece this week. Because a thing that happens after the ALA releases this list every year is that everybody who covers books then writes coverage of the list. Um, And The Guardian 
spoke to a couple of authors and Lori Hulse Anderson said, and she addressed it, you know, much more concisely than I did, um, claiming that a book about surviving sexual assault is biased against male students completely ignores that boys, men, males can be victims to avoid discussion of sexual violence, breeds ignorance, fosters perpetrators and guarantees countless more victims. And so she um, took a really inclusive point there that the rape victim in speak is a girl, but not all rape victims are girls. And certainly there is a way to talk about that with kids as well. And sexual violence committed against young boys is really underreported because there's such a culture of shame around it. Um, so we need to have these conversations with everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And just comparing the 2019 to 2020, I'm not sure how much to read into any year over year change in the list, but it's striking that in 2019's list, eight of the 10... Um, the reasons for the challenge mentioned LBTQ plus reasons. Eight mm-hmm. of the ten last year, and in this year only only one, only George by Alex Gino, a top spot. Um, mm-hmm. Is oh, is Beth notes good in the comments here that there were challenges of speak, but the book came out in 1999 and there was a graphic novel adaptation that That's came out recently. So that might have yeah, that that up. might make sense. So. Yeah, I think the the overt um, Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give, I think that came out in 2017, has been challenged regularly for anti-police messages. And mm-hmm. that really entered in a newer phase of race appearing in these lists. I think the Stamped and All-American Boys and Hate You Give are kind of in the similar cl- classes, cohort of books that are talking overtly to kids to black kids to kids of all races about racial violence and racial discrimination at this at this age overtly where an like bluest eye for example it's taking a different tact to talk about race and gender Mm -hmm. and that this this if something's going to be challenged i guess i'm glad it's these kinds of books because that means they're getting into schools to be challenged which i think 20 years ago wasn't going to happen wasn't going to happen when i was a kid they weren't going to do it that's true I'm also really interested in the fact that The Hate You Give, I think, if you're going to find any of these titles to be incendiary, these anti-racism titles, The Hate You Give probably has the sharpest hooks for that. So it's interesting to me that it's lower on the list than Stamped and All-American Boys. And I'm wondering, like, maybe Stamped just was so widely recommended and it was new and Candy was everywhere that it was just out more. So there were more opportunities for it to be challenged. But the very, like factual presentation of history and racism shouldn't be shocking and i'm i'm just genuinely kind of surprised that there were more challenges to just like a history book functionally than there were to a novel that's about black lives matter and specifically about police violence in light of what 2020 Mm -hmm. was yeah so i guess i'm not sure that given the the black lives matter movement's you know, ascendancy, or I guess a new wave of consciousness last summer, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that race became the flashpoint for people who want to challenge books about inclusion and social justice, rather than they, 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 their attention was turned away from LBGDQ plus matters, mm-hmm. um, at least yeah. temporarily, or at least not turned away from, but they were mashing the rage email buttons about other things in 2020. Yeah. And if 2021 is any indication so far, I think, sadly, I think we're, we're going to see 2019. this list That's right. swing back to being mostly objections to titles that cover mm-hmm. LGBTQ issues. You know, yesterday, as we're recording this, the Arkansas state legislature overrode the governor's veto about limiting health care access for trans kids. And we're going to continue seeing legislative attempts at this mm-hmm. we're going to continue seeing educational attempts at limiting the conversation and i hate that that's predictable yeah. okay um let's see another news story and then we'll do a break and then kind of our interesting fun story of the week i'm not sure if this is dana Ken- dana kennedy's highest well it's certainly her highest profile acquisition so far who is the new um head of sns we talked about on the show before She's probably acquired some other things, but this is certainly the highest profile thing. Two Mike Pence memoirs, um, one that is the the Trump White House years and one that's a longer sort of memoir autobiography situation. 
we talk about, you know, we've talked about books that for one reason or another, there's really one reason mostly, and that's because they're terrible people, um, that get pulled, that we don't want to talk about on the show, that we're Mm -hmm. surprised or otherwise critical of a publisher being involved with. This is a case where we're, I feel a little bit on the line because the dude was vice president of the United States. It's a historical document. On the other hand, I don't want to see a book by this guy. So I don't know. There, yeah. there, there's my, there's that's, my podcast hot take, Rebecca. There you run with that. That's, yeah, I think the most interesting thing about this story is that Dana Kennedy yeah. is the one who acquired mm. it. And this is not what I was expecting from no. Dana Kennedy's like first big moves as the publisher of Simon and Schuster. I've, I'm disappointed. Um, I, on the other hand, some publisher was going to publish Mike Pence's mm. books and make a lot of money on them. Yeah. And not for nothing, the end of Mike Pence's experiences in the Trump administration, especially as colored by what happened on January 6th, could really be... There's a story there. There's a story there. <laughs> there's, there's a story there. And, you know, also the publisher has to spin any book like this as being like the biggest thing. But the quote from the press release says that it will be the definitive book on one of the most consequential presidencies in American history. So that sounds to me like we're not getting Mike Pence talking necessarily about what it was like to be Mike Pence mm-hmm. for four years in the White House. We're getting Mike Pence, I think talking about the Trump administration and working closely with Donald Trump and what he saw. And his perspective on that could have really shifted on January 6th, and it could have really shifted in the time since. I also think he's trying to set himself up for a run for 2024. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what kind of campaign document this looks like. I mean, we'll see what kind of campaign document the press reports it to be, because I'm not going to read it. No shot. No shot. Um, So I I feel somebody was going to make a lot of money on these and... And maybe there's a weird kind of justice in the first black woman to be the publisher of a, of five, a major yeah. publishing house getting to take home that paycheck. It's also just a surprising choice. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I, I think the, these are going to be big books. And if Trump ever writes a book, it will not be full of truth. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so I think... I think saying this is the definitive account of the might be true in that regard because there's a couple of sure. other narrators that could give us more of an inside thing, but they're not going to talk at least in a way that well, anyone that also, will believe. That gives Mike Pence a lot of credit. For I'm not it. saying it's a lot of credit, but it's more credit than the next. The next. The only rung up the ladder <laughs> of definitiveness <laughs> is a pinata of lies. Okay. So I mean, That's let's true. you know. Um, so that's going to be out of lies is a good show title. (laughs) It's not bad. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to be buying it. I'm don't encourage other people to do it, but uh, these are world historical kinds of documents and I can understand why they're doing it. I kind of wish they weren't. I'm not real hot and bothered about it. I guess that's kind of where I come down on it a little bit too. It's like, I mean, it's just, it's not surprising that a former president or vice president is going to get a book. No, like no matter what party they're from or what they did in office or achieved or didn't achieve these, these people are going to get book deals, you know, four years or eight years from now, Kamala Harris is going to be writing books, hopefully while also being president, you know, but that's just part of what happens. These folks are going to get book deals. Like half of the people who worked in Obama's administration got book deals. Cause I've read all. Of I think them. they gave you a book deal <laughs> like, as a parting gift. You know, as you're walking off inauguration day, they had these contracts true. just from like sub imprints of random house, just kind of pre filled right. in and ready to go. You got a memoir, you got a short story collection. Right. Yeah. We got two know. memoirs. Like some of them, so, a couple memoirs. We get the photographer, we get the butlers, we get the, you know, yeah. the, the, the garden you people. Right. You know, like my deep wish is that the second one is going to be Mike Pence being like watching an insurrection be committed in the Capitol made me rethink what I did for four years. And this is my 200. That's kind of the sneaky way. And maybe I'm holding on to something here, because if he's gearing up for a 2024 run, there might be the other guy might be on the docket, too. So he's got to find a way to run against Mm -hmm. the Trump like acolytes. Mm And That's one true. good way to do that is to throw the empire down in the middle of the Death Star here at the end. Yeah, here was my road to right. Damascus That's moment. Right. Um, which yeah. would, so I don't, I, we don't know. We're speculating now. I think grasping at straws a little bit to find a way to find this to be something other than 
a sigh inducing acknowledgement of you know what goes on <laughs> it's yeah it's really the the thing that I really want is to like somehow know Dana Kennedy and have a couple glasses of wine with her and be like, tell me how you made this choice. Yeah. And, and maybe there's a, the best way to keep this job is to make a crap ton of money in my first couple of years. And yeah, you know, that's, that's true. There's a, I there's mean, a real politic to that. Yeah. You know, right. like th- there is. And if it's not her, it's like a white guy mm-hmm. running all of the other publishing houses. So the ma- the math there is really complicated. And also, it's unfair to place all of the That's expectations right. about changing right. publishing or changing a dynamic like former presidents and vice presidents get giant book deals, even if you think they're terrible mm-hmm. people, on the shoulders of one black woman to rise that high in the ranks. By so, the time these come out, I that th- means PRH, SNS will both have the Obama books and the Pence books under the same, <laughs> under the same circus. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we've got elephants and donkeys in that particular circus. All right, Rebecca. Um, is this one of those things? There's like a copycat syndrome. Remember, there's this poem yes. that was in Colorado. Like, do uh-huh. we? We not have enough. Maybe people are off Dan Brown, so we got to go make our own treasure this, hunt things. What is that? What is that? Literally, what is okay. happening with this trend? This is a new segment to the podcast that I'm introducing called "People." People do, do things. things. People do things. And the thing that this person is doing. So there's an artist named Michael Becker. And he tracked down and purchased a golden casket that was given to France by the UK in 1904, ahead of the signing of some document that ended antagonism between France and the UK. In all fairness, there's about 300 of these, because they got to give one of these to each other every couple years just to take care of some stuff. And it's, I mean, it's a giant golden casket. The, like, the scale of the photo... Doesn't do it justice. Doesn't do it justice because it looks like a gravy boat in this piece in The Guardian. <laughs> but it's worth about 750,000 pounds, apparently. Yeah. And Becker has written a book, and it is the prize now, the 750,000 pound golden casket is the prize for whoever can solve the clues in his treasure hunt book, which is called The Golden Treasure of the Entente Cordiale. There's a French version and an English version. They're coming out, oh, on Thursday. So Get cracking, folks. Get ready. Yeah, they're coming out tomorrow as we record this. So by the time you're hearing this, you can can get cracking. Each book contains... Nine puzzles made up of illustrations that Becker created and secret texts that are hidden in the accompanying story, which is written by Pauline Dason. So you have to crack the hidden code in the illustration to find the missing text, which will help you solve the conundrum. And what an interesting word the Guardian chose here. Um, Once all nine puzzles are solved, then you can find where two geode crystal keys have been buried. And then after you find the crystals, you have to find both geode crystal keys then you will be able to put them together to open the cabinet where Becker is keeping the casket. And then you will be in possession of a 750,000-pound 750 pound golden casket. <laughs> will anyone do um, this? Listen, will, like, I've will been even at one home person? <laughs> for 14 months now, and I'm like, Are you? I ain't got the time for this. Okay, I was like, are you about to tell me that you're going to do this? Because I'm going to read evaluate. I, I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> Taxes are too <laughs> low. Donna's in the yeah, comments saying, I, I have, have questions. questions. <laughs> I think as an off-brand Sherlock Holmes retelling, I maybe would read this on Libby for free. I... I'm sure people are getting people get into all sorts of things. It's not for me. Has What's the, I don't I don't know what we're doing Becker, here. Has anyone told this artist the average number of books that are sold for a new? Yeah, title? I mean, how many like, people are going to hear about this? Like, wh- I need a documentary about the people <laughs> that are going to yes. do this. Like, kind of in the you know the the and will it spelling take them, like, bee kind of years? thing. Like, what are they? doing like what kind of haircuts mm-hmm. are we talking about here there's a montage yeah um there's a lot of like empty convention centers with like dudes around a table <laughs> doing this it makes me wonder because like <laughs> it just makes me wonder 
does this guy? I think you could just stop there. He want does he want to be the kind of person that like what does he want here? Is this performance art? Mm. Is this I'm I'm a I'm a dime store Bond villain kind of a move here, and the casket actually has anthrax in it. Like what is happening? Is it a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar marketing campaign? Yeah, because I got news. There's a ring in the middle of it that says "Drink Ovaltine." That's a deep cut for my (laughs) for my my uh, Gen Xers out there. Um, two geode crystal keys is the icing on the Rococo cake of strangeness that this is. <laughs> it's so it's weird. so weird. And I haven't seen any news about anybody solving the puzzle from the last book like this. That we Someone found the thing in Colorado. They did. The, the, the okay. poem that was a thing. Someone did find that. Um, okay. And it was not a hoax, apparently, because that's always a concern, like, have fun. Go find this thing. I, sw- I Seriously, guys, I promise there's there. one in England and one in France, and there's this little <laughs> casket that you can then sell on eBay. Also, know. can we talk about how it's a casket? Like, who wants to win a casket? It must mean something different. Is it cursed? This feels like an Indiana uh, is Jones it cursed? <laughs> now I'm interested. Wait, I know. This is a, it's a complicated revenge plot. This Becker guy has like one enemy that he knows is going to be enticed by this his, casket. His Moriarty's out there saying, "Oh, geode he did the keys! Whole thing. You got me now. I'm into geode keys." Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, <laughs> Know what to get you for Christmas? Uh, a paper and pencil will be enough to discover some solutions. For others, you will need to do additional research. So I guess it's not like the 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 cross word puzzle in the <laughs> Sunday Times. It's harder than that. Um, on finding both crystals, which have been buried in chests along with documentation, the treasure hunters will be able to put them together to open the cabinet where Becker is keeping the casket. Uh, you could say it requires a new entente cordiale, said organizers. <laughs> or even a team of single seekers that include English and French players. The book also contains a history of the entente cordiale, written by British author and historian Stephen Clark author of A Year in the Merd. Clark said he mm. saw the treasure hunt as a timely reminder that Ro- Rouse? Rose? Mm. Rouse? Rouse. Rouse. This is English people Rouse. describing dis- disagreements. Rouse. About who oh, gets right, doses yes. of vaccine are temporary hiccups in a long-lasting and key... Oh, so this is diplomacy. <laughs> diplomacy through arcane whimsy. I'm not sure this is maybe... Sh- <laughs> What if two people each get a key? Donna, I think you've really hit on a flaw in the plan there. We've got an English... That requires two what people to do it. What if England and France go to war because an English person has one key and the French person has another key? <laughs> they have to duel. Yes. They have to what duel. What if one of them has spent years building up a tolerance for Iacon oh, powder? What you do not smell is a geode key <laughs> that definitely is buried somewhere in England. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Michael Becker, or Michelle, I am now assuming, um, now that I'm looking at the name more closely, is he looks very pleased in this photo in The Guardian. And there's a quote accompanying it that says, he does things that some won't understand, but which amuse him. Which, not about You know about who else says that? Bond villains. The quest to find... I so stand by to my this. revenge theory. Um, Becker previously illustrated Max Valentine's legendary treasure hunt book, Sur- oh boy, my French is bad here, The Hunt for the Golden Owl. Published in 1993, contained 11 puzzles which, if solved, would locate the golden owl sculpted by Becker. It has never been solved. Okay, great. So we're here, we're here almost two decades later, and we're getting a sequel to The Golden <laughs> Owl that's never been found. But seriously, guys, I promise the owl is still out there. There's one out the there. The quest of the golden owl followed the sensation which greeted the 1979 publication of Kit Williams' Masquerade, an illustrated book that contained clues to the secret location of a golden hare. Masquerade sold two that? million copies around the world, with the riddle finally solved by two Manchester teachers in 1982. However, they were beaten to the prize by a reclusive hunter who had found the location <laughs> through a link with Williams' former go- girlfriend. You know what this is? Publishing, chasing a trend. That's all this is. <laughs> Going back to 1979 and the golden it's hair. the new god That's girl. right. This one seriously is real, though. Not the last one. The last one is still out there, the golden owl. But uh, the I casket. would really like a documentary about the people, who's the, the two teachers who solved the first one. But then were skunked by someone who had inside baseball knowledge right. from a girlfriend. It's always the way. There's always some connection. There's always some paramour who leaks something and they short-circuit the thing. 
probably Dan Brown's wife yeah, with her the new horse horses. Trainer. The horse trainer had some inside dope. Okay, Rebecca. Wow. That's our show this week. You can find show notes, bookriot.com slash listen. Email us about, we had something we wanted to, oh, the should I read this segment? Various yeah. questions. What titles would be good for yeah. that? What are you wondering about? When in a hype cycle do you get interested and wouldn't mind an intervention of taste on our part? Um, Ooh, I could do a whole spinoff podcast about the hype cycle. <laughs> your new, your new, um, your new Instagram feed, live feed. Just every cycle, morning. Good cycle. morning and welcome to the hype yeah. cycle. I thought the horse was for the mistress. I think there are more than one <laughs> horse, Amelia, in the Dan Brown cycle. It, the horses are one of those hobbies. You don't just get one horse. It's like tattoos. Oh, it was. It was. It, the mistress had horses. The, the mistress yes. was a horse trainer. Right. Yeah. And and yes, if you have requests for mom's dad's grad, oh, that's Mother's maybe Day, the most Father's important Day, thing. Yeah. Graduation gifts. If you're planning your summer reading, that you sounds know, good. If you are, I don't know. If you want a good book to read in those 15 minute wait periods after you get your vaccines, uh, we will recommend you books. People, sounds good. I got my first shot last week. Those are the best 15 minutes of reading I've spent in a long time. Please get one as soon as it's available to you. We will help you out. All right, Rebecca. With books, not vaccines. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time. (laughs) Thanks, y'all.